save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Testing. Testing. Test. Test, test, test. Testing, testing, testing. Alright, phone's on silent. Oh yeah. There's a lot going on here. Absolutely. Testing, testing, test, test, testing, testing. <laughs> We're not one for speeches, so goodbye. End of episode. <laughs> They've boarded her up like some common warehouse. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Say your piece, son. This is taking too long. <laughs> we must eat it. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I don't know who we think we are. Not him. What's going on, Mike? Uh, dude, cheers to episode 50. So let's let's do the initial cheers with water. Yes. And then uh, we'll we'll dive into it from cheers. there. So cheers. Oh, God. <laughs> Episode 50. It's a big milestone. So let's let's do a quick super kick. Uh, yeah, kick. First Mikeism. Nailed it. Super quick recap of what's going on. So we have Briar Brother Coasters, Queen City Creative Works, Tabletop. And Coasters. Of and ours. Coasters. We have Glen <clears throat> Karen Glasses. We have... Christmas gifts from family members that make up our boards. Uh, we have products from all over the place, ranging from the Southern Tier to the North Towns to Buffalo to Rochester. And after a year, we've donated to two different nonprofit organizations with our merchandise. And we're now basically surrounded by equipment, wires and cords all over the place. And a huge stake in front of us with pretty much a one-time novelty scotch. Mm -hmm. And we dress for the occasion, but over the last 50 episodes, we have experienced way more than we thought we ever would. Absolutely. So we'll start with that cheers, and then we'll dive into what we're doing right now. Yeah, and I mean, just to... Keep talking about that. When we started this, we had no idea. Like, we knew that we were going to keep going regardless of what the feedback was, just yeah. because this is a hobby at this point. But, I mean, looking at where we've come so far, and I, we're going to probably talk about this, too, in our 52nd episode, which will actually be the year. But when we started this, we wanted to put a milestone out there to say, what can we do for our 50th episode? Because, yes, 52 is great, but... If you're not following us, you don't know that we do it every week. So to see 52, people might not think of that as a milestone. And plus, we have more than 52 episodes now because we do, we've do we done interviews and all that stuff. But anyway, so we wanted to do something for our 50th episode because it signified a huge milestone in our podcasting career. Jesus. We're not even talking about this yet. So we got to do it. Cheers, man. Cheers to 50. Again. Cheers to 50. And then we'll dive into what we're drinking. Oh, goodness. 
Oh, God's greatest elixir. <laughs> I need meat. <laughs> All right, but anyway, so we wanted to we wanted to do something for our 50th episode and you and I being huge fans of Parks and Rec and The Office and Michael Schur and Nick Offerman and everything in general. We wanted to make this episode not only feature a little bit more of an expensive whiskey, but make this something that would be memorable. So that's what we have here. We have Lagavulin, aged 11 years, so it's their 11-year uh, scotch. And this one has been specifically made by Nick Offerman. Like, this is his flavor profile that he likes. Um, I took down a couple notes to something that he didn't even know signified 11, which was pretty sweet. When he when he made this, he wa- for some reason, it, they fixated on 11 years. That's what they wanted. But there's some cool meanings behind 11 or how it kind of circles back into Parks and Rec. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But this is something that it, it's a little bit pricey. I mean, it was about almost 100 bucks. Yeah, it was, it was literally like cents shy of $100 for yeah. the bottle. And it was worth every cent because the box has him all over it. His mm-hmm. signature's on it. His face is on it. And it just, I mean, it's the Offerman edition. Right. And I will be honest, this uh, this really isn't that bad. No, you're right. For me. And I'm just getting into scotch, and I am I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm excited. So we also, because of Ron Swanson's character, of course, made steak. Mm-hmm. We There's wore no, flannels. We wore flannels. There's no sides. If Our, you're not watching this on YouTube, what are you doing? Yeah. So there's there's no sides because why would we eat the food our food eats? <laughs> and we're essentially just super excited to enjoy this experience with all of you. So we have bacon-wrapped steaks <laughs> because how else would we enjoy this? Also, we had to pair our scotch with something because we weren't sure how you would like this. So we wanted something that would complement a peaty scotch. And it's very sweet. The scotch is very yeah. sweet. Mm-hmm. So this is going to kind of be an interesting episode because we're going to be eating. But we're going to try not to eat directly into the mic. Dude, this is amazing. Hell yeah. So, also, again, keep going with this Ron Swanson theme. If you guys haven't picked up on this theme yet, I don't know what else to tell you. I, I can't help you anymore. We have the steaks that are seasoned with St. Elmo seasoning, which is one of his favorite steakhouses in Pawnee. Well, around Pawnee. Obviously, Pawnee's a fictional town. But Gina Journey went to visit her friend in Indiana. In Indiana and when she was there, she went to pick up the St. Elmo seasoning. So we have that seasoning. It's on the steak. It's cooked the way that Ron Swanson would like. It's a little bit medium rare. Um, I think hopefully yours is too, right? Is yours good? Oh yeah, perfect. It's still mooing back at you. Um, That's right. I like it. So we tried to really embrace all of what is Ron Swanson. Look at that steak, dude. You like it? Is that good yeah, or too I much? Yeah, I like it, dude. It's amazing. Okay, good. Oh, this is all. I'm, excuse me. <laughs> Leave me be. Oh, this is so exciting. Look at that. Perfect. Oh, yeah. So, so cheers, man. I mean, that's that's pretty much what we got going on. Um, there's nothing set up for this episode at all. Oh, not at all. We have no clue what we're going to talk about, which doesn't matter. Right. 
So we're just excited. What is your favorite? Since we're on the Ron Swanson topic, we'll talk about Lagavulin in a little bit and what the, the history of Lagavulin and also the ties to Nick Offerman. Yeah, but you got to dive into that. Speaking about Parks and Rec in general, what is your favorite episode that you can remember? I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but I'm interested. All my toothpicks just fell. I would say uh, the summer, like the summer concert events with Sebastian Mm -hmm. and the memorial service for him. That's up there. And then I would say um, the episode where not when Ron goes to Lowe's and says, I know more than you, (laughs) but when he gets the award. For doing good work, and then flips out about the government, and then throws out the plaque, and like, or he like buries the plaque. Yeah, that episode. What about you? Every time I watch that show, every time I watch that show, every time I watch The Office, both of these shows, there's certain episodes that get me to start tearing up every single time. Okay. And that episode for this is the um, the ending uh, Unity concert. To me, with all those bands, with that environment, with everybody's part in setting it up and Andy playing uh, Mouse Rat at the end of it where um, Land Ho brings him out and then they all sing Little Sebastian together, it just it gets me every single time. And I'm watching this, watching this whole show come into, in my personal opinion, and I've changed a little bit on this, but I always thought that they should have ended after that. And not have done that last final season sure. where they get into the federal government and all that stuff. Because I just thought that that was a perfect ending. And it that last season, I felt that some of it was forced in a way. And they tried to tie up all these loose ends that would have naturally ended at that Unity concert. So, to me, that episode itself just brought everything together. And it gets me every single time I watch that. Just because it's so cool watching all that happen together. Um, and then, obviously, there's... All these up. I mean, Parks and Rec in general is my one of my favorite shows. It's I keep flip flopping between that and The Office. <clears throat> I'm still not sure which one I like better because when I'm watching The Office, which I'm currently watching right now again for the four thousand seven hundred fifty sixth time, when I watch that, I say, you know what, this is better than Parks and Rec. And then after The Office, my natural progression is okay. Let's go back to Parks and Rec. So I watch that for the four thousand seven hundred fifty second time, and when I'm watching that, I'm like, oh, yeah, Parks and Rec is my favorite. So I'm always tossing back and forth, but from what I've always said, I feel like acting, from an acting standpoint, I like The Office better because they're actually acting. But from a overall show standpoint, I like Parks and Rec better because they're not acting. Because Leslie Nope is who she is in real life. Ron Swanson is basically who he is in real life. Down to a little bit of nitty-gritty, there's some details that aren't the same. But overall... They're the exact same person they are in real life, which I think makes the show flow better. It makes the comedy seem less forced. It makes everything about that show seem less stressful and less planned and more authentic to me, which is why I resonate with that show a little bit better. Yeah. I I got into Parks and Rec before The Office. so Really? Yeah. And I think it was because that's what Colleen was watching at the time. Because she was the one that got me into both shows. Okay. So... I agree. I they're eerily similar, but I just I don't know. I connect more with Parks and Rec, and I just identify more with Ron Swanson than I do with Steve Carell or or I'm sorry, 
Michael, and Jim. Mm-hmm. I just identify more with Ron Swanson, so that's probably why I like that. It's because I'm looking at myself on TV. Clearly, I'm as much of an alpha as Ron Swanson is. Yeah, with all the woodworking and building your own canoes. Yeah, I mean, I know how to like connect my Xbox controller to my mm-hmm. Xbox, so basically <laughs> the same thing. Uh, and another episode that we have to talk about is when they go to Lagavulin Distillery. That wasn't fake. That was all them going there. And when Leslie sends him on that scavenger hunt, basically, for their or their uh, wedding gift with Ron and Diane, and then Diane had to stay home, and then he was like, oh, look. A, oh, no, that's a different episode. Oh, look, a clock. No, that's the same episode, right? I believe we so. We don't yeah. have that in America. <laughs> you call that a tower? Try the Sears Tower, friend. <laughs> he just goes off on Europe. And then <clears throat> Leslie takes him for that scavenger hunt, basically, around or gives him an itinerary, and he has to follow it. And it ends at Lagavulin. Yeah. Which... Being Scotch fans and always being Scotch fans and always loving Lagavulin, it's just something that was such a cool addition to the show. It was fitting. They did they did a really good job of paying attention to what each character was all about and then tying it into the show in some sort of fashion, mm-hmm. which was like like you said before, organic and just very true to form. But even the outtakes, they're almost not even outtakes. Oh yeah, because it's just it's just them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I love that show. So this is it, man. Mm-hmm. We're crushing it. So, let me finish chewing this first. Keep talking, Mike. Right. <laughs> I have a big piece of steak. <laughs> so, the only thing we have to do is give credit where credit's due <clears throat> and dive into... We have to rate this at the end, mm-hmm. which I'm super excited about. And we have to dive into the history on it and then some of the really nice keynotes that tie everything together Yeah, about everything behind it. Yeah, so I'll talk about Lagavulin really quickly. Um, it's really interesting because a lot of distilleries are kind of tied together in the Isla area. So for people who don't know much about scotch, and quite frankly, I don't know as much about scotch as I do about bourbon and whiskey and rye and everything here in, in the American side, but looking at scotches, you have your main pillars of scotch. And actually, I should go grab... You know what? I'm going to. Hang on a second, everybody. Oh, man. We're going live. Again, not scripted at all, by any means. Oh, you're bringing it in. Absolutely. All right, grab your pen and paper. Oh, We're going everybody. to school, kids. Yep. Watch out. Nailed it. Oh, my God. Here's a good educational section. So, you're not going to be able to see any of this because of the uh, lights. So, let me just hold this up here. Um, what we got going on here is <laughs> this is a map. You're not going to be able to see this. This was a bad idea. So, scotches in general are from different areas. And different areas of Scotland yield ridiculously different flavor profiles. So, when you're looking at scotch, you have Speyside area, which is what people normally gravitate to because that's less peaty and more floral and uh, fruity and, and stuff like that. So, that's where you're getting your Glenlivet, your Glen Morangies. Um, the, what else is there? The scotches from Mike. That's what you're getting. Yeah. You're getting the scotch for Mike. Yeah, exactly. Um, then you have the Isle, which is the island off of the coast of Scotland. Which is extremely famous for their scotches. Yeah. So with that, and <clears throat> with Lagavulin in general, they're the 17, in 1742, they're credited as being the start of their history. So they started in 1742. It was the oldest distillery in Scotland, and they originally consisted of 10 illicit distilleries. So this was back before they were even like legal yet. 
Sure. That's where it credits back to. Now, the real history dates back to 1816. And by real, I say that's kind of when they started legitimizing themselves. So local farmer and distiller John John Stone converts buildings uh, that were from the original Lagavulin distillery into the legal distilleries, and he named it Lagavulin at that time. In 1836, John Stone died, and Alexander Graham acquires the glass, uh, or he acquires the distillery, and Alexander Graham was a Glasgow spirits merchant. And then in 1861, the lease changed hands again. And on their history, there, there's a lot of um, transactions between a lot of different people re- revolving this distillery. So it's changed hands quite a bit, but they've stuck with the tradition of how they wanted to make scotch, which is huge. Uh, in 1861, the lease changed hands, and now it's run by James Mackey and company. And he partnered with Captain Graham, which is a descendant of the um, Alexander Graham, who originally required it from Johnstone. And then 1878, Mackey brings in his nephew, and his name is Peter, and then he becomes the senior partner, and ultimately he is known as Restless Pete because he's the one that owned the operation back in the day. So he's kind of uh, thought of as the pioneer behind making Lagavulin the distillery the, the way it is now. Uh, and then he also lived by the motto, nothing is impossible. And then what's interesting to me is in 1948, that's finally when electricity was introduced into the distillery. Unbelievable. So all the way up until there, they were firing, they're burning stuff. And um, that's another interesting point with scotch. And with people who don't know, if they haven't listened to our interview with Carl from uh, wow. Hollerhorn, he does a fantastic job of explaining scotch because he's the one that's making the uh, American single malt. So scotch in itself, it's a different distilling process, and it's a different um, everything. I mean, different mash bill, different everything. So, But when you're making your scotch, you're burning the barley. You're drying out the barley by burning peat moss because they don't have a ton of wood in Scotland. So they're basically creating or compacting peat moss to burn, and that's what gives scotch the infamous peat flavor to it. So... That I mean, that's really something. And then once you go into 1948, that's when electricity is starting to introduce into Lagavulin, but they're still not using like a ton of electricity for all they're making. Uh, so that's kind of the history of Lagavulin. Uh, there's not too, too much. They do have guided tours there that I'm sure go into much more detail. And that's probably why there's not a ton out in the open because then people wouldn't be doing the tours really. So um I that's a goal of mine. That's a bucket list is to go to Lagavulin and Ardbeg and Lafroig and all the distilleries on Isla. You said our goal wrong, but that's fine. Oh, sorry. I won't hold you to that. <laughs> no problem. It's exciting. I mean, there's so it's it falls under the same industry, but it's kind of not like they're all. I would say different. It's so different from bourbon. The history behind it, the way. It's literally sitting out in the open, and the barrels are, like, rotting into the ground. Like, it's just a whole different way of making something that's unbelievably tasty. Which is an interesting point, because, again, if you go back to listen to the interview that we had with Hollerhorn, American distilleries, not many of them have their rickhouses open. Whereas, especially on Isla, a lot of the distilleries are, or their rickhouses are in open air. So... Another extreme characteristic of Lagavulin, or um, Isla whiskeys in general, is sea salt. Because you can taste this salt from the sea coming through, through like like crashing on the, ocean, or, um, on the banks of Isla and then getting that flavor into the whiskey. 
So you can taste that quite a bit in here, can't you? Or is it just because we're eating steak with it? I mean, it could be that too, but... No, I think you're onto something. The... There's like one piece of fat that's just like right in the middle of me (laughs) cutting this in half. Got it. So... The tasting notes on this is way different than what I was expecting. I was not expecting this to be as sweet as it is. And I don't know if it's because of the sea salt yet, but I also, I agree that eating meat with scotch cuts it, which mm-hmm. it's nice. It's it's similar to ice with bourbon, or as we call them, speed bumps. So this is this is probably why it's his, his thing. This is really pleasant. Sitting down, crushing a steak and bacon, drinking scotch, and then all your worries go away. It's a very soothing thing to do. What's that movie that he's watching when he eats this? So, another one of my favorite episodes is when it's Ron's birthday. Leslie finally found out that it's his birthday because she saw the, what, Baskin Robbins or something date? Or some sort of ice cream place there date. Uh, that it that it was his birthday and that he got a free ice cream, but one of my favorite is that episode where he's freaking out because he thinks that Leslie's gonna throw a surprise party for him, and April gets into it. She starts ordering saxophone balloons, and Anne gets into it. She brings in balloons, and then he runs and pops them all, uh, even though that they were for a sick kid in the hospital. <laughs> and it's just this extremely elaborate episode where they're trying to trick Ron into thinking that they're throwing a huge party for him. And, oh, I remember the movie right now. I don't even have to look it up. Huge fan. So, um, at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, she, instead of throwing him this huge elaborate party that he's not going to enjoy because he doesn't like people, kind of like me, instead she puts him in the conference room in the state building and gives him steak, pours him a glass of Lagavulin 16, which is his favorite, and he has Bridge Over the River Kwai playing on the TV. And he's just sitting there and he's... You're just so happy to sipping, cutting the steak, eating it, and he's just having a blast. And that's just how I feel like right now. I mean, don't you feel manlier eating this? Yeah, I don't know if it's the flannel or if it's because I just crushed a steak with bacon wrapped around it. <laughs> and then you're you're sipping the scotch. But yeah, I mean, this is an experience. And I feel every American should enjoy it. I don't know what's more free than this. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't. This is perfect. Yes. Yes, it is. So I don't know about you, but I was I was starved right before we started recording. Yeah. And then I said, you know what? We got to let this steak rest. We got to give it its due diligence, let it cook through. And yeah, that was that was excellent. So I think... I think when the waitress comes back, we should tell her. Tell her, man. I think she should put that third steak in for us. (laughs) Goodness, it's so good. (laughs) The service. We're gonna have the meat sweats so bad. The service here is excellent. So here's here's our third steak. Ready with, to be enjoyed with a side of bacon. With the correct side. So when we were looking into this, like we said in the beginning, we said, what should we have for a side? Because Ron Tronto doesn't eat sides, but can we really just eat steak and bacon? And we're like, yeah, why not? 
So our side to bacon wrap steak is a side of steak and a side of bacon. <laughs> the best thing in the entire world. So this is where we're at. This is how we're doing it. Which this also brings you back to 189. Because this is what they're known for. Yep. Because their bacon and their whiskey selection into their scotches. And they have a lot of scotches that a lot of people don't know about. Which, go there, because after the remodel, it flows way better inside. And there's so many opportunities to just experience all different kinds of brands that are really tough to come about, like to come around. Yeah. So the staff is extremely knowledgeable. Everybody understands at least the basics of whiskey, which is nice because then they can really dive into most of the things that you're going to be confused about. And then if you ask a pretty in-depth question, then they have people there that can dive into the weeds with you. Yeah. God, this is great. This is so good. And we're definitely going to have the meat sweats. Oh, my God, yeah. It's like my bachelor party weekend all over again. Jesus. That was too much meat. I never thought I'd say that in my life, but, I mean, that was too much meat and pizza logs and mozzarella sticks. I put my water on the floor and I stepped on it. I love it. Yeah, this is good, man. This is a first for everything. I don't know if anybody's ever made steak and bacon and enjoyed 11-year Lagenvillen while recording a podcast. I could probably go out on a limb and say no. One, who thinks that this is good content? We probably lost all of our listeners already just because of the chewing into the microphone. But two, this is dedication, man. We said we were going to do it. We weren't lying to people. I mean, we've told them since like episode 30 that we're going to do something ridiculous for episode 50. It's the first giant episode marker milestone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's what we got to do. We had to go all out. I mean, it's 86 degrees outside. We're wearing flannels and jeans. Yeah, and drinking 92 proof whiskey. <laughs> Scotch. Whiskey. No E. <laughs> Whiskey with no E. So, what are we doing with this third steak? We're going to cut it in half? Oh, yeah. I'm still enjoying my first. I eat all the fat. Dude, this is a mountain yeah, of a fat. Big, that's, a big, uh, that's a big piece of that's fat. That's a mountain there. of fat. That mm-hmm. was my nickname in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I'm just kidding. It's my nickname now. <laughs> <laughs> so episode 52 in two weeks marks two years. One I'm year. sorry, one year. So what are we going to do? We're having a tasting. Who's going to be involved in said tasting? We have The Crown. one and only. Hmm? We have Crown. Mm-hmm. We have Jack. We have Elijah Craig. Who else? Bullet. Bullet. Buffalo Trace and Woodford. That's going to be our... That's going to be our um, thing. So, when we get to that point here, you can just pass me the plate and I'll just eat off of that instead. So, what we're going to do is we're going to have Journey pour the, like, not full shots because we'll never be able to drive for the next year, but we're going to have little sippers for us to, after a year, to see if we can pick out what ones are which, 
Who's if, who? What do you mean? Who's who? Oh, yeah. Who's who? But not only that, but what I would be interested in, because it'll be very, very difficult for you to pick out, for both of us to pick out which one's which. It'll be very, very hard. But I'm interested to see if when we rate these, like one to six or whatever, if that aligns with our final rating of what we said in the episodes. That's what I'm more. That's what I'm more interested in. Because if it does, you and I are going pro with this. We're probably going to be way off, but way it's off. fine. Way off. <laughs> yeah, we we might be way off, but I mean that's that's the whole thing of this. You and I, we never claim to be whiskey experts. We never claim to be whiskey sommeliers, as some of the more ritzy people call it. We're just two dudes that like whiskey, and we just wanted to make a podcast off of it. So this is really all of our like true reactions to everything that we have. And if we get stuff wrong, we get stuff wrong. I don't care. Correct. Do you care? Literally don't care at all. Similar to how I cared about my grades in school. I cared only enough to keep going, yep. but I didn't let it bother me. Similar to how Ron Swanson cares about government. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think we need the fire department. I myself have put out three fires this week. <laughs> Do you think that's scary? Pull up Google Maps. <laughs> Type in your address. <laughs> so, what are we supposed to pick up in this scotch other than moss? Because there's, there's that sweetness to it. And I really want to figure out why. So, let's, let's finish our steak. Even if we have to cut this out because we're not going to be talking. Let's finish our steak. Rinse with water. Do you have water left? Rinse with water mm-hmm. and really take this whiskey rating seriously. Because we're not going to do... So for all of our listeners who know the structure of these episodes, we normally do a cocktail section. With this being a $100 scotch, you're not mixing it. Please don't mix it. This isn't something that you buy to mix. This is something that you buy to have neat or, if anything... Put it over ice. But this is not something that you should be mixing with anything. This has so many different flavors in there that you need to experience and not have it diluted with anything else. Ron Swanson actually has a quote in an interview. He's When he was asked, do you like your, your whiskey neat? Do you like it over ice? Or do you like it in a cocktail? He said, and I quote, I like my whiskey like I like my bacon. Unadorned and straight up. Which is why I love him so much. Power move. I agree. I agree, I agree, I agree. I agree, I agree, I agree. And I get yelled at all the time when we go out to places, too, because this place has such great cocktails. It's like, yeah, but have you ever heard anybody mixing Woodford Double Oaked into a cocktail off the bat? No. Have it neat. It's here. You got to try it. And it does stink because in the restaurant industry, specifically in, like, the bar industry, there are people that are known for making good cocktails. And, sure, I'll take a good cocktail. I'll try out what the bartender does. Um, I like sitting at the bar and experiencing him make it mm-hmm. rather than sitting out there and having my drink delivered to me because that's not the experience. If I'm sitting at a bar, I'll order a cocktail so I can watch that whole experience myself. But normally, yeah, just go out there and just experience different. There's so much whiskey out there. If you're going to a, if you're a whiskey aficionado and you love whiskey and you're going to a bar and you're getting a cocktail, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not tasting all the different whiskeys out there. No. And the water dilutes a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Are you in your heaven right now or no? 
I'm so happy. This is so good. I'm Thank glad you. you like your steak rare, too. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Because that's the other topic of conversation. How do you like your meat? Um, in a family-friendly kind of way. Because <laughs> I'm, I can't do medium well, well done. Like, you just literally ruined it. Mm-hmm. What would you do that for? You know, I just, I can't. I can't. Actually, a friend of mine just posted a meme to her. He said, on my first date with a vegan... And he ordered a steak, and she just, like, stared at it. <laughs> the date didn't go well. But, yeah, I just... It's one of those things where the seasoning is what makes it that much better. And then having it rare to medium is the perfect amount. Mm-hmm. Especially, excuse me, when you use butter. Yeah. Just because then the butter kind of soaks in and gives it that nice caramelized... Outer layer. So talking about steak, what do you, what method do you prefer when making steak? Do you prefer the sear to bake, like the sear to cook, where you're searing it on the cast iron stove and then putting it, finishing it in the stove? Do you prefer all on the cast iron? Do you prefer reverse searing, which is cooking it in the stove and then searing it on the actual stove top? Or I'm sorry, cooking it in the oven and then searing it on the stove top? Or are you just a grill guy? You're just putting it out on the grill. Say your piece, son. That last piece was just amazing. Good. So, excellent, excellent. <laughs> the, I'm, I'm all about the cast iron skillets, and I wasn't until I used one, and I realized how amazing they are. Outside of steak, you can also make cinnamon buns in those, which I'm probably going to do in the near future. literally worth every penny you you so you really like it i you're going to be surprised and i think it's because i had 49 weeks to get my palate to this point (laughs) i really do maybe it's the meat told you i needed i need the fatty acids in my mouth when i drink this but i understand i mean we probably smell like a forest in germany Mm. because of the pee Absolutely. And we smoked out the entire first floor of your house. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So kind of getting back to the point, you you um, prefer cast iron over grilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's me too. There's a conception about grilling where it is the ultimate man thing to do, which it is. Like, I understand grilling is sweet. It's fun to do. But you get a lot more flavors if you cast iron it because it's sitting in its own juices. When you're grilling it, it's seeping through the meat and going into nowhere. You're not going to recover that at all. So my favorite thing in the world is to, this is how I make my steaks, okay? Here, listen up, listen up. Gordon Ramsay, call me Derek Ramsay. I'm just kidding. That would mean that I'm married to him. That's weird. So <laughs> the you, you take your steak out like we did today, take it out a little bit early. Let it get to room temperature first. Not room temperature, but let it cool down or warm up. Warm up a little bit first. You don't want to throw a newly thought out steak onto it because you're not going to get the good flavors. You got to let it soak in all of its juices that it once lost because of the freezing process or even in the cooling process. You got to let it get back into the steak. Then pat it dry with a paper towel. 
big mistake people don't pat dry with the paper towel because you want that caramelization to occur on the steak and it's not going to happen if it's soaking wet. So you pat it dry with the paper towel, you put the seasoning on top, pat it in, you know, pat, 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 pat it in, get it into the steak itself. You lay it away from you in the cast iron pan with uh, heated up olive oil to where when you put it down, it makes that sizzling sound. You leave it there three to four minutes, maybe five if you like it a little bit more medium. Medium, yeah, not medium well. Never do steak medium well. But if you like it medium, five minutes, flip it. Another five minutes, and then on like the third minute, put some butter in there, put some fresh thyme in there, some rosemary, and just start basting the hell out of it. Use a spoon, tilt the pan back, and start basting the hell out of that steak. Get all those butter notes into that steak as quickly as possible. Maybe roast a little garlic, paint it on the steak. That's what I'm talking about. I get really amped when I start talking about steak because it's my favorite. And then that's it. Then you tilt it up on its side. Make sure you grill some of that fat because fat. if the fat is chewy um, and not hard to eat but it's like you can chew through it it's fantastically delicious so that's why you got to grill that side of the steak grill the other side of the steak and then that's it let it sit for like 10 minutes five minutes uh, let it cool down from it being hot and then just serve and then you open up a bottle of 11 year Lagavulin say cheers and enjoy your freedom as an American because I don't know any other better way to do that than this. So, I'm very happy, I'm very full, and I'm very content. Good. I'm ready for a nap, but we have like another 40 minutes of recording, and then I have to go home. So, I'm probably going to fall asleep at the end of your street. I'll probably just pull over <laughs> and take a quick nap, but it's fine. Or, I I'm might just good. sleep in the ditch behind your house. That works too. Until my ex-girlfriend finds me living in the ditch outside of her house. But that's fine. Not a big deal. She live over here? No, no, no. That's in Parks and Rec. Oh. Gotcha. Nailed it. Yeah, before he shines shoes. He lives oh, in the yeah, ditch. Oh, yeah, the ditch. The yep. pit. I fell in the pit. <laughs> this isn't that oily either. Three drops. You're going to be amazed. Really? Should I do it, though? To scotch? I'm going to do one drop. Three. I don't want to ruin it. You're not going to ruin it. I promise That's you. That's like a two-drop level. I'm not at a... Th- you're at a three-drop level. I'm at a two-drop. That could be a two-drop level. You're right. All right. Two drops. Derek, what am I dropping into this? For our new subscribers, new listeners, and new fans. Hell yeah. Actually... Thank you, all of our new subscribers. I don't know what I first said there, but thank you, all of our new subscribers, because... <laughs> that was a mic, isn't <clears throat> Absolutely. July and August have been our best months yet, with subscriber counts, with views, with everything. Best yet ever. Ever. The best yet. We lost all those subscribers, but <laughs> it, seriously, this has been one of our, the two of our best months ever, and it's because we're putting out good content, but it's also because new listeners coming in, listening to the channel, getting excited about what we're doing, um... So thank you all that come that just came to the channel. Um, just a little bit note on what Mike just put in his drink. So we got this little dapper do that I call it. It is an eyedropper with reverse osmosis distilled water from the Hemlock Lake out near Rochester. It's what Black Button uses in their distilling process. So the trick with that is when you put the water into the whiskey, it separates the oils. So when you take that first sip after the water goes in, it's pure 
um, taste. And there's it's just a completely different tasting profile than what you had before. Did you try it yet or no? Yeah. I don't want to puncture my foot on the toothpicks that I spilled earlier this episode, True. but yeah, the it didn't do too much. And I think it's because there's like no oils in this. But what I will say is this probably is either it takes the cake or it's tied with Glenlivet 15. Really? Yeah. That's shocking from you. I, w- I wasn't expecting that. This is good. Yeah. So another thing too to note with scotch. <clears throat> they don't have the rules like that like uh, the United States does. So as you can tell, for an 11-year-old whiskey, look at how light this is. Yeah. It's darker in the bottle, but I think that's just because of the color of the bottle. Mm-hmm. It is because the bottle's green. Green bottles matter. I'm telling you. I keep telling people this, but they don't listen. But yeah, so for scotch, they, I'm pretty sure they can actually put their um, scotch into used barrels. So you're not getting that super dark color. Okay. Which is why most scotches are light. So I like that. you want some uh, Parks and Rec facts? Yeah, or Nick Offerman facts. Yeah, yeah. What do you got? So, I listened to an interview with him, and he was just discussing primarily his involvement with Lagavulin because this was right when it was announced that it was going to be released. So the conversation was geared around him relating to his character, obviously around Swanson, and also his input on the Lagavulin design, the Lagavulin taste, and, and all that stuff. So he had a ton of input from the tasting and design, which was shocking, he thought, because he didn't know if uh, extremely old, highly thought-after Scotch whiskey was going to take input from an American thinking that they can change the, this tasting profile or make it something else. Like, he didn't know how big into tradition they were in the first place, so... Uh, he was highly, uh, ha- he had a ton of input from a taste and design standpoint. The box, so this box is interesting because it's not only look, it doesn't just look like wood. It looks like California Clara Walnut, which is Ron Swanson or Nick Offerman's favorite wood style that he has in his wood shop. So he sent them a piece of the California Clara Walnut to Lagavulin or whoever makes their boxes. And they designed the box based off of that piece of wood, which is sick. Yeah, yeah, it is. He also loves American white oak. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, which is probably why he likes whiskey so much. That's right. Um, so 11 years ago, this is the cool thing about 11 years. <clears throat> the journalist that I was reviewing, and I'll, I'll put a link to the article if anybody wants to read the whole thing in the comments section, hashtag not a sponsor. But the uh, the journalist that was reviewing or interviewing him brought up, is there any significance around 11 years? And what were you doing 11 years ago? So 11 years ago, from that time that that uh, this bottle was going to be released, he was living with Megan Mullally in New York City because she was doing a, um, a job out there, and obviously that's his wife. So he was living with her in New York City. But in that meantime, he was building a canoe because he's a woodworker in real life. He was building a canoe that fe- is featured throughout the whole Parks and Rec series. So that's the canoe that he made 11 years ago throughout the whole Parks and Rec series, which is sweet. And then the final thing about that is right when he finished the canoe, so 11 years ago, right when he finished the canoe, he went out to Los Angeles to uh, cast for the Ron Swanson role. So he was trying out for that Ron Swanson role 11 years ago before that was produced, which is just cool. I mean, he didn't 
make it 11. He didn't want it. Like, I mean, I'm sure he didn't care about the 11 year, but it's something that from a tasting standpoint, they wanted to do. And it just so happened that 11 years ago from when this was released is the exact same day that he was going out to Los Angeles to audition for the Ron Swanson role. It's amazing. And now 11 year scotch is almost non-existent, right? Like it's not a norm. Mm -hmm. They typically do like a 12 year, a 15 year, nine or a 10 or something too. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's not that many 11 years out there, which is pretty sweet and kind of contrary to what people believe. So this is kind of going back to parks and rec. Lagavulin was Nick Offerman's favorite scotch when he was like drinking scotch outside of parks and rec. Like this was his favorite scotch. And he opened up the drawer on Ron Swanson's cabinet or his desk and he saw Lagavulin 16 in there. And he's like, wow, these people really do their research. Like, they knew that this was my favorite scotch to put that in the desk. It wasn't. It's Michael Schur's favorite scotch. So, Moe's Fruit. Uh, he's obviously the one that created the office in Parks and Rec. And that's his favorite scotch. So, that's why he put it in scene. And it just so happened to be Ron Swanson's favorite scotch, too. Which is pretty cool. I did not know that. That's but, awesome. Yeah, I mean, through that interview, too, that, that's where I got all this information from. Nick Offerman was talking about Michael Schur and just the respect that he has for the guy. Michael Schur is a genius. I mean, he's behind The Office, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's hilarious. He makes little cameos in both, too. And I, I just love the guy. And the fact that he loves Lagavulin is just awesome. That adds to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Parks and Rec was filmed in Scotland, so they actually went to, like we were talking about a little bit earlier with Leslie Nope sending him on that uh, itinerary to go to different places. They went to Isla, which is where Lagavulin and Lafroig and Ardbeg and all those are. And Ian from Lagavulin, he, so contrary to popular belief, most people think that they drink on set. Like if they have a beer or something, it's actually beer. It's not. They can't really drink on set. They can't really smoke on set. They can't do anything on set. It's mostly water, colored water, or something like that. But when they went to um, Lagavulin, Ian actually poured <laughs> Nick Offerman a full glass of real whiskey. So he downed like half of it before they started filming and gave the rest to a production crew. And uh, But that was one of the only times that he actually drank Lagavulin on set was when he was in Lagavulin Distillery filming that scene. And he had a 15-hour day after that, which was pretty sweet. So he had to continue functioning. And the production, or he said that the production crew let him have a 15-minute nap. <laughs> That's amazing. So cool. Um, and then the final thing that I have here is just that he said he likes his whiskey like he likes his bacon, unadorned and straight up. So he, he's a man of the people. Uh, this is a fantastic scotch. And you want to get right into rating this thing? Yeah. Let me let me add just a little bit because yeah, we yeah. gotta we got to dive into – a lot of different elements of this. So also, while you're looking at Mike's camera, <clears throat> behind him, again, Journey, Gina, coming in clutch. Love ya. Uh, behind Mike, there is a picture of Charles Mulligan's Steakhouse, which I don't know how she got it. It is was probably one of the best birthday gifts I think I've ever gotten. It's this picture of, I mean, I'll, I'll try to zoom in. Mike, get out of the way. There you go. Perfect. So it's a picture of Charles Mulligan's Steakhouse, and uh, I still... Cannot believe like they boarded her up like some common warehouse. It is an amazing poster, and it just shows our love for Parks and Rec. So, Gina, thank you very much. And uh, it just ties in perfectly with this episode that we got here. So, two things. It's a incredible poster. And second thing, I am so glad I did not knock down a shelf mm-hmm. because that would have been atrocious. Can you need a little more of that, too. 
Oh, you want a little more, huh? Oh my god, dude, this is so good. Is your dumb mistake though? Aren't you getting more of that peatiness? Yeah. Yeah. Do you it, still love it? Yeah. This is my yeah. This is this is up there. This is definitely up there for me. I'm so happy that you said that. It makes me very happy because in the one eight nine interview, you were asking John how uh, how one gets acclimated to the peat. And you know what he said? He said, "Just send it, dude. Just keep drinking it, and you'll eventually get okay with it." Mm-hmm. And now. If I have 80 proof whiskey, I'm like, what is this? Yeah. It's just not enough. Where's Lager, the burn? Lagavulin actually has 114 proof that we have to try. It's cask strength. So once we're famous and we can afford another $100 bottle. so It's probably going to be more than that. Yeah, probably. Woof. Yeah, it'll be tight. All right, so let's get to rating this thing. Lagavulin, Nick Offerman edition, aged 11 years, scotch whiskey. Coming straight from Isla. What do no you got? No E. No E. For label branding, what do you got? Label branding has got to be... Oh, goodness. Beeps? Yeeks. <laughs> Yeeks. All right. Label branding has to be up there with the the special JD. Eric Church, yeah. Because this... We're never going to find this again. Yeah. So, A plus checkmark, plus plus checkmark, plus... Very scientific. <laughs> All right. Um, Are you writing this down? No, I don't have a pen. So, same thing. <laughs> same thing as Eric Church. Um, okay, so from a nose standpoint, what are you getting? Obviously, I'm getting the the moss and the peat and just straight forest trees coming out of this. Yeah. That's first and foremost for me. But that's I think it's because that's a scotch. And, so and I think that why it's so prominent for you is because you haven't had peaty scotch before. Because my first initial smell of this is a little bit of peat, but mostly like a green apple and a little pepper. I don't get a ton of peat because this is not their most peated whiskey. No, Lock God, of one no. sixteen is disgustingly peaty. You yeah. won't like that one. No, probably not. Probably not, but I like this. I don't know if it's because it's an eleven year, yeah, or or what the deal is. But I like I like this. I like this for yeah. now. So from a nose, I'm getting a little green apple, a little pepper, and then peat. Okay. Can you get behind that? Are you smelling the green apple at all, or are I, you just overwhelmed? I can buy by that it? for a dollar. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. All right. Initial taste. Well, hold on. We got to rate it. So a. I'm just so juiced, man. I know. A with four pluses. Okay. I can get behind that. I can buy that for a dollar. I can buy it for a dollar. <laughs> a with four taste. pluses. A with four pluses. Right. Initial taste. Freedom. Right off the bat is what I'm tasting. Immediately. Bald eagles are screeching in the background. <laughs> Even though this is a Scottish whiskey. <laughs> but Nick Offerman. This is literally what... This is the nectar for Ron. Erase all pictures of Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go A, four pluses. I'm getting... For taste, you're getting A, four pluses again? Yeah. Okay. 
A4 pluses, and I'm getting like a, a wood sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, somewhat of a salt. I, I guess that's what that is. But that gives it that sweetness up front. Mm-hmm. And then you get the burn on the ending note, which we'll get to, which it's like a, a high hug. Yeah. Medium to high hug, nothing crazy. And it, it lingers on your tongue. Mm-hmm. It'll just sit for a minute and simmer. But that's what I'm getting up front. Mm-hmm. I'm getting wood sugars and, and kind of that that sea salt. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. You get the, the charredness from the barrel, which okay. is interesting yep. from a scotch because, again, most of, some of the time they're using already used casks. Yeah. So they're not freshly charred. They're not freshly toasted barrels, which is normally when you get a ton of that wood sugar. But these, in specific, Lagavulin 11, you're still getting a lot of those characteristics. Which is a good Lagavulin Eleven is a fantastic transition whiskey because it mirrors quite a few similarities to bourbon, but with that extra oomph of Isla whiskey, which to me this is perfect. And this is very similar to other whiskeys that we reviewed where ending notes are tougher to pinpoint because you want another initial sip and you want to keep drinking this. This is a dangerous whiskey to keep drinking because it's expensive and you can destroy a bottle of this easily because of how good it tastes. Yeah. And good luck finding it. If you Mm. get carried away. Yeah. So this sold almost (laughs) immediately in, in area stores. Yeah. Uh, You want to give the plug where we got this too? Yeah. So Tim and, Elmo Wine and Liquor, we reached out to and said, hey, we want to feature 11-year Lagavulin. Do you have it in store? We want to do it for our 50th episode, so we're going to save it for a little bit because this was months ago. Mm-hmm. And he immediately responded and said, yes, I have two bottles left. I'll pull one aside for you. Um, you know, he said, first come, first serve, but technically you reached out and asked for it, yeah. so you're, you're first. I was like, all right, awesome. So we pulled it aside. I went right in, bought it, and... I asked, I said, how many do you have left? And then she goes, we, yeah, we literally only have two. Uh, we, we got like the initial shipment, I think of like 15 bottles. It was something very small yeah. and it was just gone within hours. Yeah. So I was, I was f- very excited when we found that out. So shout out to Tim and Alma Wine and Liquor. Thank mm-hmm. you for everything. And we're excited. So initial taste, we're getting the uh, wood sugar, sea salt, sea salt, and a little bit of char. Yeah, chart and then the peat, of course, but yeah. that's that's also more than those. So that's that's the initial taste. A four pluses. Yeah. Ending note, A four pluses as well. Um, but I'm I'm not really getting like a green apple on the ending note. No. Green apple you barely can taste. Yeah. It's all nose. I'm just getting that peat on the ending note. That's essentially all I'm picking up. And yeah. I think it's mainly because it's traveling through my nasal cavity, so I'm smelling it more than I'm tasting it. Yeah. So the box actually says the ending notes, and I guess now that I know what it is, you can taste it, but I never would have guessed it would be in a whiskey, but you're getting, like, some fruited berry notes at the end. Like what, though? Just says fruited berries. Well, that's too vague. Which is interesting because you wouldn't get that from... Without knowing, because Maybe, this, it's not a characteristic of bourbon or whiskey, really. Then are we getting fruit sugars on the initial taste? Could be. Could be rather than wood sugars. Because, again, it's not freshly charred, so it would make sense. So let me read you the description on the back of the box. 
the romance begins with an initial whiff. So, so there's also a history thing up there, but we've already talked about the history. So the romance begins with the initial whiff of peppery green apple, so pepper green apple, followed swiftly by a jitterbug of stewed berries. The tangy spice from the handmade charred cask perfectly coupled and in tango with peaty burnt ember characters, featuring a sensation on the nose reminiscent of your favorite campfire. To taste, the woody peaty notes lead from front, gently tingling the tongue in a cha-cha before fading to reveal veritable, or veritable waltz of sweet berry and orchard fruit notes. The familiar Lagavulin distillery characters step forth, presenting aromatic peat with every sip. A moment after the liquid is gone, the peaty essence remains characteristically a wonderfully energetic flamenco finish from a round, uh, a redou- what? Redoubtable liquid and an unmistakable panache for which I am tickled to write box copy. I am great in tutu to boot. <laughs> this 11-year log of is top-shelf brass band blowing smoky jazz and marching straight down your gullet. Nick Offerman. He's a fantastic writer, too. I have his book. He's incredible. I just want to shake his hand. I love the man. <laughs> so, I, I guess <laughs> I guess this is, I mean, you can kind of taste, I guess, that berry finish, but I wouldn't have pointed that out if I didn't read that box. No, I would, I would have picked up like a fruit sugar if I was an actual whiskey connoisseur, but I am not, yeah. so I was... Not. <laughs> I was not. We are connoisseurs, Paul's not. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, we'll go with that. So, A, four pluses on the ending note. Final rating, Derek... Give me that countdown on episode 50 for 11-year Lagenvulin, Nick Offerman, slash Ron Swanson, Scotch. Jesus, this is a lot. All right. Final rating. Three, two, one. 98. Nice. So what is that? 96.5. W-Y-R-K? No, I don't know what it is. But it's 96.5. That's a very, very high rating. This is my second favorite scotch in the entire world. Lagavulin 16 is my favorite. So if we ever have that on the episode, you bet your damn ass I am rating it 99. (laughs) So this is 98 because this is, if I were to pick something that I could drink every single day that is my favorite whiskey, it would be Lagavulin 16 and this right after this. In my mind, you can't get better than this. This has that peatiness, traditional taste that you get from a perfectly blended scotch or a perfectly created scotch, not blended. You get the mix of bourbon with those charred wood sugars, fruit sugars, um, a little bit of caramel and vanilla notes in there too, but they weren't prominent enough to put it on the actual initial taste. But you're getting those flavors from this. To me, it just combines everything that I love about scotch and everything that I love about bourbon into one drink. And you really can't get better than this, in my opinion. I'm with you. I'm with you. This, yours is Lagenville in 16, mine's Glen Levitt at 15, French Oak. And I'm, I'm all about it, man. Mm-hmm. I'm all about it. This is sensational. And that's coming from a non-scotch yeah. guy. Uh, we were... Honestly, when we were planning this episode, we were very worried about you not... Well, not worried, because either way it would be content. But we were worried about you not liking this. Like, at all. Like, undrinkable. Because I was literally terrified. So, with your initial thoughts, what do you feel now going into? Like, is a recap of this episode, because we're we're nearing an hour, but 
a recap of this episode, how would you summarize all of this into what you now think of Lagavulin? I think Lagavulin is the perfect bridge between bourbon and scotch. Specifically on the neat side. So mm-hmm. if you're not into, there's my accent. If if you're not into the peatiness of scotch, but you enjoy bourbon, try a lower year Lagavulin, test the waters, and then give yourself time to adjust to it because there's a lot going on inside the glass. And then if you can... Don't pour it into a rocks glass. Pour it into a a nice Glencairn glass. Sip it. Let it do its thing. And then you'll start to appreciate scotch on a totally different level. And then you'll be able to build on that. That's exactly what it is for me. This is my gateway scotch. I'm so happy that you like it. This is something that I could destroy every single day. This is something that as soon as I make enough money to be able to afford this on a regular basis. This will always be at my bar. This is something that if you are a scotch fan, you can appreciate. If you're a bourbon fan, you can appreciate. Everybody can appreciate this. And this just overall is the best. Well, cheers to episode 50, man. Yes. This is amazing. Yeah. So thank you again to everybody. and, And we'll wrap this up here. Thank you again to everybody for subscribing to us. Again, this has been... Our past two months have been the best that it's ever been for us. Keep subscribing. Keep forwarding it to people that you may know. We have a ton of content coming out. This past Friday, we released an interview with Angelo Marinelli, who is a musician from Buffalo who actually worked with Robbie Takek from the Goo Goo Dolls to produce a song. Uh, We have a ton of content from different industries coming out. So please forward to people that you feel like would be interested in some of this content because it's not going to stop. You and I have stuff scheduled already until the end of October, and we haven't even hit September yet. So we have more wineries coming out. We have more people that are prominent in the community coming out. We have clothing brands coming out. We have a ton of different content coming out. So please subscribe. Please be in tune to all of our stuff. Give us a rate on Apple Podcasts. We just had a review on Apple Podcasts not too long ago. So keep giving us some reviews. It just makes us look more legitimate. And let us know, do you want us to do more scotch? Uh, I'm sure Mike would really appreciate you telling us that we should do many more scotches. So uh, give us some recommendations in the comments what you like. Scotch, scotch, I love scotch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have a ton of more content coming out too. We have um, businesses that are sending us items for us to try. So some cool content coming up with that. Um, And then as always, follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, We have a Twitter, but we don't really do too much with it, but we're there. We should stop saying we have Twitter. We don't have a Twitter. Yeah, really. We, we, listen, delete Twitter. Yeah. But no, the, uh, yeah, so we're on Facebook, Instagram, and then we're on every major podcast platform, specifically YouTube as well. So thank you for everything thus far. We're very excited for the next 50. And uh, cheers, man. I mean, this is it. Cheers. This has been episode 50 of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike? We're out.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.